0: Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation and the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report as a podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe at your go-to podcast platform. Good evening, and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, Director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Amy Donaldson, reporter with the Deseret News. Representative Brian King, minority leader in Utah's House of Representatives, and Rod Arquette, host of The Rod Arquette Show. Thank you for being with us today. Big week in politics, but so many different tentacles from politics to policy to the future of our parties. We're gonna get to all of it today. I wanna start with COVID-19 first. Amy, let's start with you, uh, giving us a perspective of what's happening in the state of Utah. Our numbers are high, but leveling. Give us a a status report and where we are.
1: Well, we we passed a grim milestone this week. Uh, Just yesterday, we passed 1,000 deaths. 1,016 Utahns have been lost to COVID. Um, We're averaging about 2,800 cases uh, over a seven-day period. Our positive rate is about 26.2%, which is down. It got up as high as like 30. I mean, I think we had one day where it was 42% Mm -hmm. just that single day. Um, But the bottom line is uh, half a million a um, quarter of a million Utahns have uh, tested positive for COVID, um, so it's been, I think, a really tough week in a lot of ways.
0: So true, and Representative uh, King. Uh, so many people are talking about our numbers, and it turns out people are still not wearing their masks.
2: Yeah, I, I, and it's remarkable, isn't it? I mean. I have some people emailing me in my capacity as representative who say, shame on you for talking about this in as aggressive a manner as you are. Everybody knows masks don't work. There's no evidence to show masks work. And I just go, I don't know what universe you're living in. But this is not what anybody who with knowledge says. And in fact, the, the evidence, the best empirical evidence shows that masks are very effective when combined with social distancing and combined with small groups and, you know, avoiding public exposure to people that you don't know. Those are remarkably effective. It holding down the numbers so I think we just have to keep going up, you know, doing the best that we can. And I have some thoughts about whether the state is doing enough, but you may ask about that. Yeah, later.
0: I want to talk about that in just a second, too. But I want to ask this question to you, Rod. Uh, up through, up to the election, so many of us, even on this show, talked about that politics are at the heart of the mask, right? Are you a Republican? Mm-hmm. As you can tell if you're wearing a mask or not, if you're a Democrat. Has that changed at all in your mind since the election, or does that division
3: remain? I think the division still remains. Uh, I'm going I'm to make question to your point you made that people aren't wearing masks. I think a lot of people are still. I mean, as I go out shopping, the limited holiday shopping I've done so far, or to restaurants, I was at a fairly good-sized restaurant and eating the other day, and everybody's wearing masks except when they're eating. So I think they are. It was interesting today i saw this study It's a french study that just came out this morning i think which basically said you know um wearing a mask lulls you into a false sense of security when it comes to social distancing and social distancing may be even more important than a mask and so i think the mask wearing is still very very political i personally see a lot of people wearing them but i think that was an interesting study that with a mask you're lulled into this sense of security so we can get Mm-hmm. A little bit closer, and, and really the social distancing is a key. Yeah, and, and the next well, thing is. Go ahead, Amy.
1: I want to jump in on the are most people wearing masks because I think one thing, there's two issues with that. I've been covering these protests where people are not wearing masks, um, but where they feel like it's an infringement of their civil rights to be asked to wear a mask or to have a mask mandate um, from the government. Um, so there are a good number of people who are not participating and not wearing masks. I think when you're talking about schools and churches, you you have, there's some control. I think you saw the LDS church leaders come out, which I've been saying faith leaders need to step up into this space because in Utah especially, people respond much better to faith leaders and very direct messages than they do political mandates or political messaging. But I, I think there are still a good number of people who are not wearing masks, and there are a good number of people who are not wearing masks in the risky type places so indoors um family extended family gets together they're not wearing masks that's where i mean 70 percent of the cases are spread in small social gatherings between friends and family
3: well I, i let me add to that amy uh i think there those who are wearing masks sometimes aren't wearing them properly I mean, I see them around the uh, neck all the yeah. time, you know, or below the nose. They aren't wearing it properly, and that's the other issue. If you're going to wear it, wear it properly. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of this leads to what
0: the, the bright spot was of this week, is this vaccine is here. They're here in the
2: state. Probably Representative King started getting some of those vaccines for frontline workers this week. Right, right. Healthcare workers are... Uh, number one priority, which I think is appropriate. Governor came out, uh, we, we actually had some input as representatives, the Speaker and the President asked uh, the legislators informally a week or so ago, what are your preferences about priorities? And I was heartened to see that uh, there was a lot of uh, common feeling that those who are on the front lines in terms of health care, in terms of first responders, uh, and vulnerable populations, the elderly, folks in long-term care facilities, folks in hospitals, things like that uh need to get uh the vaccination first but it was interesting to see and heartening for me and to see the governor say that teachers yeah. are right up there next in line which i think is a good thing
0: amy let's talk about this for a moment because that is a huge uh step forward in terms of uh, of the the policy for the educators right this is something the teachers have been talking about if you want to get our kids back in school it's going to require vaccines for these teachers talk about how big of a step that was for the, the governor to make that statement
1: Um, I think it was actually a tremendously uh, meaningful uh, action for teachers. Um, Teachers feel very second-guessed and attacked, and there are a lot of ways they don't feel supported right now. Um, I don't think a lot of them even got the five masks that were promised at the beginning Mm -hmm. of this pandemic. You know, there were PPE that was promised to teachers that they ended up fundraising for themselves and buying for themselves. Some of the districts stepped up, but you know, some of those promises just didn't materialize. So I think more than anything, it was um, an emotional lift for them to be able to hear, yes, we see you as this important that we're gonna put you at the front of the line. Mm. Um, I think vaccines are gonna be your next political debate though, medical, political, um, you know, the same way masks have been.
0: Yeah, I I wanna talk about that because it's a great point. Even as you mentioned, Representative, uh, that you and your colleagues were questioned about that there are people who said wow is this wait is this a political question Is that why we're asking about these priority lists or
2: something else which is why you see some people saying well who's really in charge of making these decisions yeah no well and and as amy says i mean you're going to have a significant portion of the population that says "Uh, i don't think so on the vaccine and i've had many emails saying please make sure that the vaccination process is an opt out it's optional it's not mandatory uh you know it is ma- it isn't going to be mandatory i don't think i don't see how you can make it mandatory but But I do think that there has to be and every public health official I've heard talk about this says there has to be a certain level of vaccination or you're not going to have the kind of immunity, herd immunity that we want to develop. It's got to be up 75, 80 percent or you got problems. So I don't know that we're going to get to that number in Utah because there are a lot of people who say vaccinations of any type, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. And they
3: certainly are even more suspicious of this particular vaccination. And the challenge is going to be picking up on that if it is the Pfizer vaccination it comes in two steps and after you get the first the first vaccination it's another month or five weeks and you'll still have to wear your mask you'll still have to social distance during that period of time so will people even follow up and get that second shot yeah. that's going to be the challenge and rolling this out not only in the state of utah but around the country and around the world what a task that is going, to, going be. to be huge that, and that we're is we're going sure. to have to see how we do
0: Uh, Let's talk about how this was going to roll out into these schools because it's such a great point about these teachers uh, because we had some numbers this week about what's happening in our some of our school districts, particularly the Salt Lake City School District. And it seems like this is the big question for these districts as you're balancing health and safety versus the education aspects of it. These seem to be the two big questions that are coming forward. Um, Every district in the state has a combination of in class or online except for salt lake city school district they're entirely online uh, let's talk about the numbers that have happened this week amy because uh, we, we did get some numbers from that district to see how they're doing and it turns out 364 high school students in salt lake city school district failed every single class in the first quarter that's a 600 percent increase uh, interesting mm-hmm. numbers as we start to see what the impact has been
1: I don't think anybody who's had teenagers trying to do online classes is surprised by those numbers at all. Um, I think that uh, it was a, I think we're gonna find that this pandemic has set people who are already on the margins behind even further. Um, I think kids are safer in school um, if they're observing the social distance and the mask wearing. Um, Just like you see lower rates among sports teams, when there's a reason for somebody to take these precautions, to be careful, Uh, they're doing it it's it's out with their friends after school or at home that they're not taking these precautions and the kids who are already at risk are more at risk now and they are living in multi-generational homes or they're living in homes where if somebody gets sick from work they can't isolate um and and they're they're trying to do their schoolwork in the middle of a you know we do it in in the middle of the kitchen um so it's uh it's a in my opinion an unmitigated disaster and we're going to be trying to rectify this the way this was handled for maybe years to come.
3: Yeah, you've got to get the kids back in school. I agree with Amy, that's where they're going to advance, but the teachers need the protections, the vaccine, they need the equipment to protect themselves again. But you look at the online training, uh, the reading scores seem to be holding from what I've seen so far. It is the math scores that there really is a challenge. And I just look at my own grandchildren and their moms trying to figure out today's math and they they can't figure it out either. And that's going to be the yeah. real challenge is to mom and dad step up. But do you have the skills to step up to help your kids through math, which yeah. is taught differently today than it, it it was years ago? Yeah. What are you hearing about this
0: representative? Because this is the re- real question you're talking about here. This, this unmitigated disaster as Amy was just talking about, uh, because the, there are long term impacts. You have some risk inside the, the schools of some kind of exposure, but you have the this very long-term negative impact of this. How are these, these school districts approaching this right now? And is there gonna be maybe even a conversation with Salt
2: Lake about this? Yeah, well, Salt Lake, as you say, has been uh, on the edge, on the end of the spectrum in terms of saying we're not going to have any in-person learning at all. And I think that's a that's going to be interesting to watch the numbers come I in. You, you mentioned some numbers that show that we have some significant failure rates in terms of a lot of these kids. What we don't know is how they compare to other school districts that have a combination of in-person and virtual learning. I think one of the things to follow up on what Rod and Amy were saying is that this has revealed is the kind of problems that are created for particularly low socioeconomic yeah. folks not having access you can't have effective virtual learning when you don't have access to the internet yeah. Yeah. and the, and the people who are least likely to have access to the internet of course are those on the lower end of the socioeconomic scale so that adds to the importance the need for us to come up with a good way of teaching our kids and i think it's interesting to watch other countries that in some ways have done better than the united states in dealing with this pandemic they have placed incredible priority on making sure that kids get in-person education because they know how disastrous disastrous it is for the kids on the lower socioeconomic spectrum to not have the ability to get the
3: education they need. and the question is what are you going to do with the kids who have fallen behind Do you hold them back for a year? Do you advance them? How much remedial education? I mean, that, uh, Amy is in there, and I can see her shaking her head as well. What do you do with with these kids? The bottom
1: line is it's going to hurt their confidence. It's going to hurt them emotionally in ways. It's going to disadvantage them across the board in ways that we haven't even, you know, begun to figure out and unravel yet. And I would just piggyback on what Brian says you don't have access to the internet, you may not have the equipment, the computer, or, or the the technology, You know, the actual hardware in your house, or you're sharing with uh, two or three brothers and sisters, and your parents probably work two jobs. They're probably essential workers. Yeah. So they're not sitting there making sure you're doing the homework, even if you're doing your level best to participate. Listen, I per- helped my granddaughter with an online kindergarten class, and these teachers deserve a thousand, <laughs> times what they're making i don't know if you've ever tried to do a zoom call with five-year-olds it it was unbelievable and i it just kind of drove home to me all the things i've been hearing and reading through my job i just thought this is a 45 minute she gets 45 minutes of kindergarten i that's not enough yeah
2: well jason (laughs) you know it's an interesting thing that you see some of the representatives and senators on the who represent those areas the uh, underserved areas uh, that have more so- lower socioeconomic folks in them they're the ones who oftentimes are most vocal about saying, we need to have an in-person option. Mm-hmm. And it's because of this reality that yeah. we're talking about. They know what their constituents have to deal with. And so I think that we're going to see, we may see, you know, one of the things we're handicapped, we're talking about this without having all the data that we need to really analyze and evaluate how Salt Lake City's performance compares to other school districts. So we got to get all the information, and then we can evaluate it intelligently. Yeah,
0: is, is that what they're waiting Look, for? Brian, oh,
1: don't yeah. you think part of the issue is that families are afraid because there isn't a solid plan they don't understand and they don't really a a, a solid plan about how they're going to keep people teachers staff and students safe is not being communicated I think that's really a bigger issue than Where are you safest?
2: Yeah, well, and I think that you're right, uh, and one of the reasons that that exists in the way that you're talking about, Amy, is because there's a healthy split and division of opinion among the school board in the Salt Lake City school district about the best way to handle this.
0: Is is that the reason why, Amy, that they can't come up with a plan? Because they certainly haven't come up with any real plan.
1: (laughs) Brian is generous, and (laughs) and I don't disagree. I don't disagree that there's a difference of opinion, but I also think. We have known the science has been out there since the spring. We knew the fall and winter months were going to be tougher. Uh, I see this, you know, at the college level, covering college sports. You know, um, you don't start your season in November and think you're going to do, you're going to play every game. Uh, I think that the plan, we had time to deal with this. We had time to get PPE to these teachers. We had time to come up with a comprehensive plan. For, FOR ALL THE DIFFERENT SITUATIONS, THERE ISN'T ONE SOLUTION FOR, for ONE DISTRICT. One, THERE MIGHT NOT EVEN BE ONE SOLUTION FOR ONE CLASSROOM, BUT WE DON'T HAVE that's THAT KIND OF LEADERSHIP, THAT KIND OF takeover, AND LET'S JUST DISSECT THIS THING AND SOLVE THIS PROBLEM AND THEN COMMUNICATE HOW WE'RE GOING TO KEEP YOUR KIDS SAFE, WHY YOU SHOULD TRUST US WITH THEM. THAT'S NOT HAPPENING.
3: WELL, I WANT TO PICK UP ON THAT AND I THINK you, WHAT YOU JUST SAID A MOMENT AGO, AMY, COMMUNICATION. I think I, I think from the very beginning of all of this, there has been a lack of really c- good communication because you're getting conflicting reports, conflicting studies, conflicting, yeah, we're yeah. this, do this, do this, and I don't think there has been a consistent message communicated to people out there so they go, oh, okay, I get it. I understand what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so this gets
0: to this really great point you made, Representative, just this week on, a, on the radio, KCPW is where you were, th- just a really great comment about how our elected officials need to step up, how we need to do more. The governor's office and everyone else. Maybe part of it is
2: related to what Rod was just saying. Oh yeah, no, I agree. And you know, the governor can be the cheerleader and he sets a, a very important tone in terms of messaging. And I think in many ways, the governor's done a good job. He's not anywhere near the poor messaging, the terrible messaging we've seen out of the Oval Office, for example. He hasn't gone as far as I'd like to see in terms of putting the force of law behind the evidence and the public health information that we have to say. I was, For example, I went on a little road trip, a solo road trip, and I had no problem social distancing mm-hmm. and no problem keeping away from people, but I went to California uh, right after Thanksgiving, and there were many signs in public places saying, you will be fined up to $100 if you don't wear a mask. I mean, it was very Mm -hmm. clear. And you had, I I was impressed by the degree to which people were wearing masks throughout that state. And it's not a a surprise to me that you have rates of transmission and testing, positive testing rates that are lower in California and have been lower for many weeks and months than in Utah. Mm -hmm. The same is true if you want to take a better example in terms of a state our size, Oregon has significantly more people, about a million more people than we do, and significantly Significantly LOWER NUMBERS OF BOTH POSITIVE RATES AND TRANSMISSIONS AND INFECTIONS AND DEATHS. SO THERE IS A WAY OF DOING IT BEHIND PUTTING THE FORCE OF LAW BEHIND THIS STUFF THAT'S GOING TO RESULT IN GREATER, BETTER OUTCOMES THAT WE COULD
3: DO AND SHOULD DO. I WILL DISAGREE, with BRIAN. I THINK IF YOU PUT THE FORCE OF LAW, MORE AND MORE PEOPLE ARE GOING TO OBJECT TO IT. I, you know, there, 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 is a, THERE IS A STREAK OF FIERCE INDEPENDENCE IN THIS STATE. DON'T TELL ME WHAT TO DO, uh-huh. AND YOU USE LAW TO COME AFTER ME, I'm, THAT MAKES IT EVEN well, HARDER FOR ME TO AGREE TO DO IT. SO I will, I WOULD DISAGREE WITH THEM A LITTLE well, BIT. SO
0: LET'S PUT THIS INTO
1: PERSPECTIVE, TOO,
0: BECAUSE uh-huh.
3: I WANT TO GET TO THIS. OH, GO AHEAD, AMY, SORRY. <laughs> i was
1: JUST GOING TO SAY, DON'T PASS LAWS THAT YOU CAN'T ENFORCE. Yeah. DON'T PASS, DON'T GIVE A MANDATE that, you, THAT MOST OF OUR SHERIFF'S DEPARTMENTS ARE NOT GOING TO ENFORCE. Um, I DO THINK THE MANDATE'S HELPFUL. But let's not lie to ourselves and say it's being enforced in every corner of the state. Also, Oregon has more deaths than we do by 100.
0: Right. Well, this very conversation kind of goes to the heart of this, this next issue, which is so important to us, which is, are we going to come together on a few of these these items? I want to talk about polarization in the, the United States, maybe a little bit in the state of Utah. This, this issue kind of lays that out a little bit as well but i want to talk about the election for a second so elections over the electoral college numbers are in the states have certified their elections but we still have people fighting about this. Yeah. All right, so, so give us an idea because we have a lawsuit that's filed in uh, Texas. M- may representative represent, take a second and talk about what that lawsuit was because we have a Utah and Sean Reyes, our attorney general that's right in the
2: heart of that. Right, so the Texas attorney general filed a lawsuit asking for original jurisdiction with the U.S. Supreme Court to challenge the, the election results in. I think it was, I could be wrong about the four states. I don't think Nevada was part of it, but I think it Georgia, was- Georgia, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, and Wisconsin Mich- Pennsylvania, Michigan. and Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. And and. 18 attorney generals have signed on to that, including Texas, and Mr. Reyes, Attorney General Reyes here in Utah, was one of them. And that was problematic from my perspective, simply because there's no good reason to think that there has been any degree of fraud that's uh, that would call into question the results in the presidential election of those four states, or any other state for that matter. And yet we, as you say, continue to inject doubt and questions, and uh, uh, you know, there was a, a Quinnipiac poll just yesterday that said 70 percent of Republicans believe that Joe Biden's election to president is not legitimate. Well, what does that portend for the future in terms of our ability to get things done in this country and for uh, us to move forward in a positive direction? It's a terrible thing, and it's undermining the ability to govern effectively over the next four
3: years. And I, think so Please, yeah. I wonder if there was a similar poll taken in 2016 and how many Democrats felt that the election of Donald Trump was not legitimate.
2: Rod, I don't think <laughs> it was anywhere near the uh, number. Yeah. I'm sure that there. I'm sure that there were a significant number of Democrats who felt it was not legitimate in 2016. But 70 percent, I'd be shocked.
3: Well, and the, the question yeah. I have on, on the I think what Texas is asking and, and you may know better than this. But Texas is saying, hey, we don't like the way they did their election. So we think you should invalidate their electoral votes. That's what I think it basically that's, comes down to. And that's and, not and, what they're saying. Well, but they're I think that they... if, if it's along those lines, I think the Supreme Court probably is not going to touch this.
1: Well, they're not going to touch it because there's not anything supporting yeah. the allegations no they're evidence. making. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's right. but but it, but to the issue of polarization, I don't see it getting any better. No. Um, there's no. You have 106 uh, Republican representatives who also uh, signed on to this lawsuit, um, so which is I, a majority think, of the
2: Republican caucus yeah, in the House. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and well, so it just it lends credibility to things that we should, you know, be able to read about and. And dismiss right they've hand counted the ballots in Georgia they've recounted I think they've they've now determined it three different times three different ways same in Wisconsin um, yeah and so I, I I feel like we've aired the grievances we've discussed what the evidence or lack of evidence is the allegations are and anybody can see that they're pretty absurd but, I mean, I, I thought the responses from the AG, AGs, from the four states in question, they were s- as scathing responses I have ever seen in legal filings, which mm-hmm. are pretty boring and <laughs> not fun to read. <laughs> but you, you, there's no way that this pa- this works because then you'll see California suing Texas for shutting down all their polling places and engaging mm-hmm. in voter suppression. Okay, so I mean... So,
3: yeah, yeah, l- 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 the, bigger, the bigger question that you had, division in this country? It's not going to get any better yeah. for a long, long mm-hmm. time, unfortunately. Well, There's nobody out there. The the two sides are, are are as divided as they've ever been. People are divided as they've ever been on so many issues. It's a real challenge. Well, right and to, to, uh, to follow up on what Rod says, to
2: a remarkable degree, conservatives and Republicans particularly have been taught and have learned how effective it is for the party leader, in this case Donald Trump, mm-hmm. over the last four years, to play that line in terms of the political tactic and yeah. strategy of dividing and having in doing so ensure that their base is incredibly loyal incredibly uh reliable
0: well talk about i'm curious about, about that do you the, want to come yeah, on that yeah, i want sure right?
3: pick up on that i think the democrats have learned a little bit of that too brian and here's why diane feinstein i mean she has been brutally attacked over the last couple of weeks for her saying you know the judiciary and the amy coney barrett hearings were well done she hugged lindsey graham and she's been brutalized for that within the Democratic Party. So this question of party loyalty now is really an interesting question that certainly, Well, particularly if you take this fact in,
0: as soon as Sean Reyes said that he was going to file this lawsuit, he got an immediate response from the governor saying, governor of Utah saying, I disagree uh, that we should do it. We weren't even consulted about this. Right. And then you immediately... And, and the governor-elect. <laughs> and lieutenant, yes, and the governor-elect said that as well. But then you also have Mitt Romney uh, coming out immediately saying, it is madness. Yes, this Our, is a joke. <laughs> so, I mean, so, so, I mean, even within the Republican Party, which I'm so curious about what you were just that, saying, that's Rod. That's
2: true. It's interesting that you say that, though, because that's true in Utah, Jason. But as Rod points out, I'm not sure that other states have the kind of healthy division. I do think it's a healthy division that the Republican leadership, uh, elected leadership in Utah have demonstrated on this particular point.
0: Mm-hmm. Amy, how are you seeing that division play out?
1: Um, I think, I I don't see it getting better. I I think everyone says they want um, moderacy, they want us to come together, they want to love but what what polarizes what gets people out to the polls it's not peace and love yeah it's not you know it's not all the good stuff that you're (laughs) going to do for them i think joe biden and and kamala harris delivered a pretty moderate and pretty loving you know let's heal let's you know their motto was make america kind again you know um which was touching but is it enough is it electrifying is it look at how democrats did down ticket joe biden didn't help the democrats down the ticket or Or the parties didn't. You know, I think, I think things are going to get a little bit better. I, I don't think. I thought. I never thought Donald Trump created this problem, and I don't think Donald Trump. It ends with him. I certainly don't think he's going away. Um, But I, but I don't think that this ends. And we have come to see each other as uh, not as people, but as uh, political party affiliations, and that's the dangerous tough thing, to, especially
2: during a pandemic. About 10 seconds. Politics
3: has become more like religion than it ever has. <laughs> contempt. You've got to remove the contempt yeah. we're having for each other to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yep. Maybe that's why we need the Utah way a <laughs> little yes. bit more. Yes. A little more Utah around the world. <laughs> there you go. Good. Thank you all for your, your insights tonight.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast episode of The Hinkley Report. If you like listening to the experts talking about the issues, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app.